Well, hello everyone, and welcome to this episode of VI Shots. My name is Michael Ivaliotis, and this is the podcast devoted to the world of LabVIEW. With each episode, I bring you interviews, discussions, and share with you ideas for how you can take your LabVIEW development to the next level. Well, thank you all again for joining me on this episode of the VI Shots podcast. Well, NI Week is going on right now, and uh, there's a lot of announcements being made this week regarding new products, uh, hardware and software. But of course, on VI Shots, we're uh, very focused on LabVIEW, and uh, LabVIEW 2013 has been announced today. Uh, I've already been on the LabVIEW beta program, so I'm familiar uh, with some of the features, and I've had a chance to play with some of them. But uh, I'm... There are so many that I haven't had the chance to uh, get involved with all the features of LabVIEW. Uh, but to help us out today to uh, learn about all these features, I have with me Grant Heimbach, who's a LabVIEW product manager. Welcome, Grant. Thanks, Mike. I also have Jonah Paul, who's uh, also a LabVIEW product manager. Hi, Mike. Welcome, guys. And uh, let's get right into uh, let's get right into this. Uh, I'm very excited to hear about, uh, I'm sure our audience is as well, to hear about all these uh, cool new features this year for LabVIEW 2013. Um, I'll start off uh, with you, uh, Jonah, and uh, I'd like to talk about uh, some of the features of uh, LabVIEW as that allows us to talk to some new hardware that's been announced this week as well. Yeah, sure, Mike. So as, as, as you know, as a LabVIEW developer, including myself, LabVIEW is very tied to NI's hardware platforms. Um, and so today we actually announced... Uh, I'm very excited, a brand new compact Rio uh, called the 9068. Um, it's programmable using the LabVIEW real-time and FPGA modules that, that you're used to, um, but it includes some of the latest hardware technologies. Again, LabVIEW is good for obviously abstracting those technologies and letting NI integrate um, some of these latest technologies as we've done, for example, over the last 10 years with the LabVIEW Rio architecture, which includes a processor, FPGA, and I.O. And so with this new uh, C-Rio 9068, um, the processor and FPGA are combined onto one chip called the Xilinx Zinc SOC. Um, it features a dual-core ARM processor that's going to allow you to use your uh, existing LabVIEW real-time code and upgrade it to this new Compact Rio. We've seen with our internal benchmarks about 4x performance improvement over previous generation C-Rio. Um, and then the other exciting feature with this new C-Rio as a, as a LabVIEW programmer, programmer is um, the Linux-based operating system that National Instruments has invested in on this Compact Rio. Um, so the, the Linux operating system uh, combines the general purpose Linux desktop operating system that, that you may be familiar with, along with NI's expertise in real-time standalone programming to create the NI Linux real-time OS. Uh, it brings a new level of openness to this compact Rio so that you can reuse the large, large community of libraries and examples or, uh, excuse me, applications directly installed onto this Compact Rio and access it from within your LabVIEW application. Um, so this new Compact Rio, again, very exciting, but uh, it uses the familiar LabVIEW development environment that, that you are used to. What is some other technology that's coming out this week? Some other features coming out are technologies, hardware technologies, um, is, uh, you know, if you're in the area of measurements, um, we're excited to release the new Compact DAC extended temperature. Um, so we've seen uh, in talking with many of you out there in the field taking measurements that you want to take your measurements closer and closer to the phenomenon that you're trying to measure. Um, and so the new extended temperature CDAC programmed um, uh, from LabVIEW on the, on the desktop provides that. 
Um, and also, we're excited for uh, the, the expanded instrument driver set that we've uh, now released for the vector signal transceiver. Again, the, the VST or vector signal transceiver we released into market last year at NIWeek, if, if anyone is in attendance. Um, this year, we're ex uh, creating and introducing an instrument driver FPGA extensions uh, a set of, of drivers, which enable you to have the, the benefits of a compatible driver set and integrate it alongside your own application-specific IP, both on the FPGA as well as on your processor-based LabVIEW application. So uh, some, some exciting hardware from National Instruments coming out. Um, and then the, the final thing I'll mention, Michael, is that uh, this fall we're releasing a new version of Data Dashboard uh, 2.2, it will be, um, that helps you to build remote user interfaces. So some of you may have already downloaded Data Dashboard 2.2 um, from your respective app store. Um, we're uh, just to give you a preview of what's to come with that. Um, we're allowing you to customize your dashboards further through things like multi-plot support and transparency. And uh, even more exciting is now we're going to be supporting Android tablets and allowing you to share your dashboards uh, cross-platform. So you can create um, your dashboard on your Android tablet, for example, and share it to your colleague who's got an iPad tablet using again the same dashboard. So exciting hardware that all integrates with, with LabVIEW and that you can you know, use your, your LabVIEW skill set to program these new hardware devices starting here at NIWeek. Jonah, let's, uh, I have a question about the 9068. Um, can you explain uh, the main difference uh, between the, the previous technology and this new Zinc? Um, what, what are the main differences? Yeah, sure, Michael. So the main difference is uh, looking at the new hardware that that we've invested in with the 9068 is, like you said, the Xilinx Zinc chip. It incorporates a dual-core ARM processor along with the latest FPGA fabric. So Xilinx is seven-series FPGA fabric all on a single die. So for as a LabVIEW user, you get to uh, make use of this new hardware. And on the ARM processor, um, as I mentioned before, you get a, about a 4x improvement in performance for your, your processor-based code. And the seven-series fabric um, allows you more programmable logic to use within LabVIEW FPGA to make even more complex um, hardware or software-designed hardware um, for your application. Now, the, the Linux environment, <clears throat> how is that different than what we had before? And uh, I know it'll open up opportunities because I guess we'll, we'll be able to tap into the Linux um, uh, programming world. But for, how does that improve for LabVIEW on the LabVIEW side of things? So from the LabVIEW side of things, it put it this way, is that you can select the level of abstraction that you want within this new Compact Rio. Uh, because it's open, you can reuse your existing LabVIEW code as is today um, and, and make use of those hardware performance benefits. But if you're familiar with Linux, as you said, Michael, you can reuse existing community libraries and applications directly installed onto the C Rio and access them from within LabVIEW. And an additional feature because of the, the NI Linux real-time operating system is you'll also be able to develop, debug, and deploy C and C++ code to actually run on the processor. Um, and then you can interface that C and C++ code with your LabVIEW FPGA application to make use of the abstraction of programmable hardware that LabVIEW provides alongside maybe you or your colleague's C or C++ expertise. Now, Data, data Dashboard, as you mentioned, has been uh, pretty successful uh, in the existing incarnation. Uh, you mentioned that the new one will allow you to essentially have kind of a cross-platform capability, like you can uh, develop them on the Android and uh, share them with people, for example, in iOS. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, 
especially or specifically to this this tablet version, you'll be able to use Data Dashboard 2.2 or 2.2 and share them across uh, Android and and iPad. That is correct. Um, um it also mm-hmm. oh, go ahead, Michael. Sorry, no, just finish. Um, also, uh, with the new uh, Data Dashboard 2.2, it allows you to scale your application more easily. Um, so you that you can use a single dashboard for maybe multiple machines that you're monitoring. So let's say you've got a compact Rio or maybe a compact DAC measuring or monitoring something. Um, you can now have a single dashboard where you select from a variety of targets at runtime which target you want to monitor, and the the I/O dynamically updates and points to the appropriate device um, so that you can again use one dashboard for a number of different uh, machines that you're you're maybe monitoring. Uh, being, I know that's that was announced this week at an iWeek. When is the, the the official release of that? Um, I believe looking at our current timeframes, it's sometime this fall. Um, I would uh, expect it before the end of Q3. Okay, Jonah, thanks. Uh, thanks for that. So right now I'd like to uh, get into some of the actual uh, features of LabVIEW that uh, have come out this this week. Uh, Grant, let's let's walk through some of those. Uh, I know there's uh, some enhancements that allow you uh, related to code management and kind of streamlining your deployment. So let's talk about those first. Absolutely. We've been really excited about uh, being able to announce LabVIEW 2013 today. Uh, we have over 100 new features in LabVIEW 2013, so it is a jam-packed release. Uh, not only do we have access to all the great new hardware for our complex systems that Jonah was just talking about, which uh, just integrate seamlessly within LabVIEW, when, you know, we work really hard so that you don't have to. Normally, whenever a new operating system or a new chip or an FPGA came out, if you're doing text-based programming, you'd have to go back in, change memory management, change what targets you're, you are uh, uh, specifying, and then have to recompile. But with LabVIEW, everything uh, is completely taken care of for you. So you just plug in your new, uh, bigger, faster hardware, and you're able to make use of it in LabVIEW. But we also have a lot of great new productivity enhancements to uh, help make your development life faster as well. So uh, you alluded to new code management within LabVIEW 2013. And uh, I'm pleased to say that a lot of the new features that came out in LabVIEW 2013 came exactly from the idea exchange. So in.com slash ideas, if you have any ideas on how we can make LabVIEW better, please go add your voice to that. But the, the first one I want to talk about is better tools for documentation. Uh, if you're like me, sometimes you inherit code from other people. And whenever you open it up, you immediately scream because you have no idea what's going on. Everything is all over the place. You know, a little bit of uh, architecture can help there, but it'd be really nice if people would add comments to their code so that uh, it's more easily readable by somebody else. So in LabVIEW 2013, we have a new uh, way to comment code, which is called bookmarks. So you use the regular free label that uh, everyone is accustomed to on the block diagram, but what you're able to do is add a hashtag and then write something afterwards, and that becomes a bookmark. It becomes bolded on your free label. But what that allows us to do is that there's actually a bookmark manager. So in LabVIEW 2013, if you go to View Bookmark Manager, it opens up a little modal window. And within that, it aggregates all of the bookmarks that are within a LabVIEW project hierarchy. So you could have gone through and added um, little bookmarks to give yourself as the developer to-dos. So if you still needed to complete out some code or fix some sort of bug, you could go in and add hashtag to-do, hashtag uh, fix this, and it's a a way for you uh, or a team of developers to quickly navigate through this code. From the bookmark manager, you can double-click on the bookmark, and it takes you exactly to where that bookmark lives uh, within the nested VIs. So instead of needing to add code somewhere deep down inside of it and have to open up, you know, 12 uh, sub-BIs to get to it, you could just add a bookmark to be able to go back and forth. 
I've actually found uh, a, a different way to use it myself, and that's within my code. I'm starting to document where I enqueue uh, play, um, data and then where I'm dequeuing that. So I can see just through the bookmark manager where my data flow is actually jumping back and forth to, which is sometimes hard to do whenever you have complex uh, queues if you're using name queues or something like that to break data flow. Um, uh, so bookmarks are one, but also uh, being able to attach comments to block diagram objects. So now with those free labels we have on our block diagrams, whenever you hover over them in the bottom right corner, there's a little glyph that looks like an arrow. You can grab that and then hover over different objects on the block diagram. Whenever you release, it will create a visual representation. There's an arrow connecting the uh, comment to that object. And the good thing about this is that people's been doing, been doing this for a while, but they've been using decorations. They would add a comment, put an arrow behind the decoration, and as soon as you clean up your block diagram or you move code around, that uh, uh, visual relationship was destroyed. Now with attached bookmark or attached comments, you're able to maintain that relationship. So if you clean up the code or move it around, uh, the bookmark will follow it. So yeah. it makes it really nice to to move things and document your code. Yeah, I remember playing with the bookmarks. Uh, sorry, with the attached comments feature during the beta, and I found that really cool and exciting because uh, you see basically everything following around. Um, <laughs> even if you move the functions, the arrow stays connected, or if you move the comment, the arrow stays connected. So I think that's pretty cool. And uh, work that I assume works well with the diagram cleanup tool as well because LiveView now recognizes these objects, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, so it tries to, it's just like within block diagram cleanup, it's going to try and find the pr appropriate relationship to it as it cleans it up. So it may move it uh, above it or around it, but it's going to maintain uh, that close relationship with it. And uh, another plug I wanted to make with the bookmark manager is that we actually created that API uh, for the bookmark manager, the way that we uh, scrape all the VIs and get wherever the bookmarks are. We've made that open and extensible so that the LabVIEW community can actually go in and create their own bookmarks. Uh, I'm sorry, their own uh, bookmark managers. So if they wanted to add new functionality or even uh, create new functionality and then sell it on the LabVIEW Tools Network, uh, they could create um, uh, their own bookmark managers. And we made it really nice and easy to be able to do that within LabVIEW 2013. Yeah, I'm sure the gears are turning right now in several people's minds. Um, <laughs> Because uh, I guess if you have a way to to jump between different places in your code using the bookmarks, you could uh, potentially use that as um, a navigation tool. Um, Absolutely. To, to navigate your code, uh, not necessarily just to remind you of things that you have to do or anything like that, but you know, just uh, and if you create a very cool uh, bookmarks manager interface, you could uh, do the navigation quite nicely with that tool. It could be really seamless, and that's what the the joy of having you know your main customer audience being engineers and scientists. Uh, they're really smart people, so by opening things up and uh, allowing it to be extensible, then the LabVIEW community w w were always astounded by what people are able to do. And we have some use cases we think that uh, might come out of making this uh, bookmark API open uh, to the public. But at the same time, I'm sure something's going to come along that uh, we could have never even have dreamed of. But uh, I'm happy to see it within LabVIEW 2013. So what else do we have? So uh, as well as being able to manage more code uh, on the UI side of things, we've added uh, a couple of new um, uh, interactions that you're able to do with your user interface. The first one is native mouse scroll uh, support. So this is something that the community has been asking for for a while. You know, scrolling mice have, have been around for, for quite a while. But uh, in LabVIEW, as programmers, we had to develop this ourselves. And you, it was normally some sort of polling uh, type architecture, which was really processor uh, heavy. 
Now we've uh, made it available so that whenever you drop front panel objects that are appropriate, things like uh, you know an array of elements or a knob uh, or sliders, you're able to just hover your mouse over it and whenever the VI is running, uh, scroll back and forth on your mouse and it's able to increment or decrement uh, that, that control or indicator. But we've also, since that's available on those objects, uh, that means it's also available as an event. And of course, that's going to be available through the event structure. So now you can uh, monitor for mouse scrolling events within the event structure. One of the cool uh, applications I've seen of this so far is that if you hover over a, uh, a graph and then you scroll, you could be monitoring that within an event structure and then zoom that graph in and out appropriately uh, from within your event structure. And uh, so that was an, a neat application I've seen for that, but I'm sure there's even more out there with it. Uh, on top of the events uh, themselves, within uh, the event structure, whenever you uh, open up the dialog where you edit the events, we've improved that interface. Um, so uh, you can go in and you can actually filter uh, the different event sources and the different events that you have because a lot of times whenever you're creating an application, you, have, uh, it, you could potentially have hundreds of different front panel objects. And whenever you're trying to do um, uh, uh, UI programming, you have a big laundry list to have to try and go through. So being able to filter out and look for a specific control makes it a lot faster within there. Um, also, uh, for debugging events, uh, we've now added a new uh, way to do that, and it's called the Event Inspector Window. And so if you go into the block diagram and right-click on a, an event structure and say, Show Event Inspector Window, it will pop up. And this shows you uh, the queue that that event structure has um, uh, of events. So as your VI is running, you'll see all of the events that uh, get queued up and that that uh, event structure is actually processing through. It has a running log of everything that has happened, all the different interactions. You can save that log so you can debug it. I have found this especially useful, uh, being able to go in and debug different things that I expected to uh, happen in a certain order but uh, were not happening and I could easily look at the log and be like oh it went from this uh, it should have gone from one to two but it went from one to three I'm missing some sort of uh, step and have to go back to it so the unit inspector window is making it really nice to be able to debug um, uh, UI events which uh, a lot of us programmers out there are doing that more often mm -hmm. and there's there's some other enhancements as well to the events to the um, events the user events as well there's some new uh, functions as well right Absolutely, and I'm looking forward to your session uh, here to talk about it as well. But I'll go ahead and give a good plug for it. But um, so within user events, uh, we've added a new ability to specify priority. So uh, user events are a dynamic event that you create and fire off programmatically. Uh, instead, so the opposite side of a user event would be like an operating system event, like a mouse scroll or a panel close or something like that. So a user event is something that you determine as a developer and fire off within your program. Now you can actually set the priority of that event as either high priority or normal priority. And what that means is that if it goes in as a normal priority, it's going to be added to the end of that event queue that I just talked about in the event inspector window. So it will go to the very end and the other events that were ahead of it will process before it gets done. If you set it as high priority, it actually jumps to the front of the line of that event queue and gets processed next. So a high priority could be something like there is some sort of alarm. A temperature has gone above some sort of limit that you have set, and you would like uh, your machine to start shutting down or other things to take place. That would be a high priority user event. And uh, what makes this nice, there's lots of different ways that you can communicate in LabVIEW, cues, notifiers, and everything else. 
this is a way that if you're using uh, an architecture most of the time uh, called a queued message handler, you have a loop that has an event structure, you have another loop that's processing all the events that are being queued up. Um, this is a way that you can easily use that architecture and communicate back into the existing architecture. So you don't have to use a notifier. You can use this event, uh, this user event, set it as high priority, and it's able to uh, communicate back up to the event structure and, uh, and process through that logic. Uh, there's also, uh, we've had a couple other uh, API developable as well, so that you can um, uh, inspect that uh, event queue and flush it if you need to. Um, so just a couple of low-level primitives that we now have available within that as well. Yeah, I had to do some uh, extended digging into those new functions because, as you mentioned, I'm, I'm d doing a presentation this week on uh, on user events, so that's uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it forced me to to learn about these features. But the uh, I think the flush event queue um, function is very powerful, and that that one is uh, for that function alone. I think it's uh, worth upgrading to LabVIEW 2013 because most. Um, most of us LabVIEW advanced developers have been using user events for communicating between processes. The flush event queue uh, is you can actually specify uh, specific events types that you want to flush. Um, exactly. So exactly. You, you can actually fine tune what what the what that function does, which is very powerful. Exactly. Now, after a user deploys their application, they want to be able to communicate with application with that application remotely. Now, the industry standard is uh, web services, and I hear that there's some enhancements to that web services. Can you tell us about that? Uh, in LabVIEW 2013, we've spent a lot of time to actually make the process of integrating, uh, creating, and debugging LabVIEW web services even easier. So now in LabVIEW 2013, uh, LabVIEW web services are now a project item. They used to be a separate build specification that you had to create. And what this meant is that if you created a LabVIEW executable and a LabVIEW web service to communicate with that, they were in two different contexts. Mm -hmm. uh, so you weren't able to actually communicate back and forth using regular LabVIEW code. You'd have to use uh, a network communication like TCP primitives to pass information back and forth. So you'd have a LabVIEW executable that you'd put in a TCP uh, uh, communication that would talk to the web service. And then there was a web service that talked to the rest of the network out there. And uh, it was a little bit more cumbersome, especially to develop and debug it. So now by making it a project item, you can use normal LabVIEW communication tools like local and global variables or functional global variables and, uh, or named queues, and they just work. Um, you're also able to easily secure it. So LabVIEW web services still have the ability to turn on secured socket layer or SSL. This is 128-bit encryption. This is what most mobile banking sites use to be able to encrypt it. You can easily go in and uh, manage uh, usernames and permissions of what they're able to do. So someone has to log in to be able to uh, monitor or control your application. Uh, it's also easy to debug. So from within the LabVIEW Project Explorer, you can actually create a debugging session where your web service uh, is uh, a reserve VI. You can go in and look at the block diagram. You can turn on head execution. You can add probes on the fly. And you can step through the process of debugging directly from within uh, the regular VI flow. And um, uh, it used to be that you'd have to go in and create a debuggable executable to be able to do it. And it was just really cumbersome. So now it's all integrated together. Once you get done uh, debugging and de developing your web service, Whenever you create a LabVIEW executable, there's now a new category within your build specification where you can add this right to it. So everything gets packaged together. This used to be a two-part process. You had to have to go in and adjust some INI file settings and then put it in the right location. But now everything's all together in one, and it works on both um, Windows and our embedded targets. So you can uh, uh, 
debug and develop and uh, deploy LabVIEW web services on, on both. So web services is just one way that we're enhancing uh, the ability to uh, deploy these uh, uh, more uh, up-to-date systems. Another one is uh, installers. So whenever you get done creating your executable, a lot of times you need to send that executable to someone else to be able to run. So if you used um, you know, LabVIEW, some LabVIEW code in your executable, DACMX, maybe data sockets, you would need to be, uh, know as a developer before LabVIEW 2013 what all drivers you used and what runtimes you needed to include. So you, hopefully you send everything over to the customer that they need to be able to run that. But a lot of times you may have forgotten uh, some sort of dependency that they need. And so the first time they open and run that executable, it'd say it's missing some sort of dependency. Now in LabVIEW 2013, whenever you create an installer and add an executable, we automatically will tell you by going through that source uh, code what runtimes and drivers that you need to be able to use this. So right now, it's just monitoring for NI installers and runtimes, but hopefully we'll be able to extend this out and make it open for the community so that we can bring in third-party installers as well. Um, but it's a nice feature so that you uh, uh, will be able to send this out and uh, get rid of that, that uh, old nasty problem of having missing dependencies. So this is an enhancement to the installer process, installer build process. As you said, you know, people don't know exactly what they're calling in LabVIEW. And in order to, to be able to include the proper uh, items in the installer, you have to intimate knowledge as to what DLLs you're calling and have sort of a laundry list of all these things. And then uh, make sure you check the right boxes. Uh, so right now, I guess what it sounds like... Uh, LabVIEW does the is smart enough to just scan through your system and um, enable the things that you need. Correct. Exactly. You create an installer, tell it which executable to uh, add as the source file, and then it will automatically tell you what additional installers that you will need. Of course, you can go in and uncheck the box to automatically uh, include the installers, and you can pick and choose which ones you want. But by default, we'll go in and say these are the ones that you need uh, to be able to run this at a bare minimum. Yeah, I, I recently actually came across this problem in LabVIEW 2012 where I was doing a vision development um, and uh, trying to figure out what vision components I needed and all that was was kind of a, <laughs> a little tricky. <laughs> I had to build Absolutely. the executable several, the installer several times um, <laughs> and then test it, you know, on a clean machine to make sure it was running and all that. So there's, there's a lot of time saving in order to do that once. Absolutely. So um, uh, the last thing I want to talk about as far as deployment is uh, in LabVIEW 2013, we are automatically installing JKI's VI Package Manager. So this is uh, a great way to be able to package up uh, IP for reuse and uh, deploy to uh, colleagues or the community out there and has been available for quite some time, as you know, Mike. Uh, but with LabVIEW 2013, we're actually installing it uh, with LabVIEW 2013 so that uh, you, uh, every developer of LabVIEW 2013 has access to the LabVIEW Tools Network and also the VI Package Manager uh, repository of all this great IP that is out there so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel. LabVIEW's been around since 1986, so more than likely what customers are trying to do has been done before and is available somewhere on the community. So instead of having to recreate things, they can just go and search for it within VI Package Manager and LabVIEW Tools Network and uh, just reuse that code right within their application. And we'll be highlighting uh, a lot of tools here at NI Week um, uh, that people are able to integrate. Uh, new Wiredbird Labs deployed, uh, Viewpoints, TSVN, which is a, a free way uh, to integrate with source control right within LabVIEW, um, and a whole uh, other host of them. Um, but uh, the power of being able to reuse this great IP is um, really a benefit to customers.
Um, the last thing I would like to talk about with Labby 2013, and I was only able to highlight, I said there's over 100. I'm only able to highlight uh, a certain amount here within the short amount of time we have. Um, but the last couple of things I want to talk about are new um, uh, developments that we've had in LabVIEW to help make it uh, easier uh, for customers to learn LabVIEW. So within LabVIEW 2013, so in LabVIEW 2012, we actually introduced this idea of templates and sample projects. These are industry-proven architectures that people can start their applications from. So instead of starting from a blank VI, which then turns into this spaghetti code, uh, they can open up these templates and sample projects, learn how to integrate them uh, into their own applications and start from them. In LabVIEW 2013, we've added two new sample projects. One is a real-time sequencer. This comes with the LabVIEW real-time module. And uh, essentially, if you're creating an application where you have kind of a, a recipe that you're needing to follow, you go up to one bin and get a certain amount of um, liquid of certain uh, uh, chemical, go up to another bin and get another certain amount, uh, let that cook for a certain amount of time. Uh, kind of, it's called recipe cooking. Uh, if you're needing to build up kind of this recipe, this is what the real-time sequencer is for. You can quickly customize which different states that you need to go to and then hit run and able to uh, work through that. That type of architecture is actually really advanced to be able to uh, have a uh, responsive, customizable UI as well as having a very functional and high-performance architecture on the background. So the real-time sequencer is a great starting point for customers needing that as well as the supervisory control data acquisition system or the SCADA system. Uh, this comes with the LabVIEW DSC module. And essentially now, if you created um, a, uh, a biochamber from that, that uh, test sequence that I was just talking about, instead of just having one of those, if you had a hundred of them, where you're needing to aggregate uh, all of the information from all hundred of those uh, bioreactors back into one HMI, that's what the uh, SCADA um, sample project shows, is this type of architecture where you can have um, uh, a number of distributed systems that are all being able to uh, control and monitor from one central hub. So sample projects are one way that we're expanding on LabVIEW, as well as shipping examples. Whenever you uh, look at shipping examples in LabVIEW, so this is going to LabVIEW, go to help find examples. This is where a lot of customers go to learn how to do something in LabVIEW. Um, if you're needing to learn about how to do TCP or uh, 3D picture controls or how to do anything within LabVIEW, this is one of the first places that people go. And we've been adding to shipping examples since uh, LabVIEW was first born. Um, quite candidly, uh, we haven't always been going back and double-checking that the shipping examples that are out there are top-notch, that are staying up-to-date with the best programming practices that uh, we require with our um, certified LabVIEW developer course or anything like that. So we've actually gone through and done a complete overhaul in LabVIEW 2013. And we've kicked out all of the shipping examples, and they had to go through rigorous testing and an update process to be able to get back in. And so the shipping examples that you see in 2013 have documentation. They have um, modern architecture. They have uh, modern UIs. They have icons. They're located within projects. Um, we've updated them so that we have new capabilities as well within the shipping examples. Uh, we've updated the search uh, within shipping examples. So the search has gotten better to be able to find these uh, new updated um, uh, examples. So they're, uh, they're a great way to be able to extend and learn how to do new things within your application. And the last thing that I want to talk about within this bin is uh, expanded online training. So with LabVIEW 2012, we introduced the uh, idea of online training with LabVIEW. So with every purchase of LabVIEW, you get a one-year subscription um, uh, to uh, LabVIEW's standard service program, SSP, and you can renew that as you uh, continue on. But with the uh, subscription, you actually get access to online training. So with last year, we introduced LabVIEW Core 1, 2, and 3. 
come with every copy of uh, LabVIEW, uh, I think, full or above. I think LabVIEW Base, you only get Core 1 and 2. LabVIEW Full and above, you get 1, 2, and 3. But this year, we've introduced uh, advanced architectures in LabVIEW, object-oriented design in LabVIEW. And then if you have FPGA in real-time, you get LabVIEW FPGA in real-time 1 and 2 available to you uh, free of charge. So it just comes with having uh, those modules and uh, active service. And we're continuing to expand. So we're expanding into other languages. We're expanding into uh, DAT courses and more of these uh, niche courses. We're looking at trying to do uh, software engineering in the fall. So by staying active on this service, you have access to the exact same uh, great content that you get from classroom training uh, at a fraction of the cost. And you can go back at any time and rewatch certain modules. Uh, if you're like me, I can sit through class and uh, retain about 50% of it. And it's not until I'm actually programming that I needed to learn something about um, you know, event structures that I can't remember. So with online training, you can quickly go back and rewatch the um, uh, presentation and the exercise and relearn the information that you need to do to be successful within your application. Okay, thanks, Grant. That was uh, a very fast rundown of uh, only a fraction of the features that are available in Live 2013. There's there's actually quite a few more that uh, that I like there that we haven't we didn't get a chance to talk about, but. Uh, if someone wanted to dive into the new LabVIEW and uh, find out more information and, and download the latest, where could they go? Absolutely. There's, so, of course, we'll have a couple of sessions here at NI Week uh, going over the What's New features more in depth. Uh, but for those people wanting to see more right now, you can go to inna.com slash LabVIEW slash What's New uh, to be able to see all of the, the new features in LabVIEW 2013 and also have links to be able to go and download uh, LabVIEW 2013 now. Okay, thank you, uh, Grant, uh, and thank you, Jonah. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, thanks, Mike. And thank you all for listening to this episode of the VI Shots podcast. If you like the VI Shots podcast and you want to support the show, you can go to the iTunes store and search for VI Shots. That's VI with a space and then Shots. And then go leave us a review. The more reviews we get, the more visible the show becomes to a wider audience. Any reviews are appreciated. Feel free to comment on our show uh, at the show notes at vishots.com. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.